It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to the 140th, or rather 144th episode of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician who's retired from practice and become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is creating voice for family caregivers. Family caregivers care for family members with health conditions that healthcare cannot cure. My profession can't cure. Examples are mental illnesses and developmental disabilities, permanent impairment of everyday functioning, serious and debilitating physical illnesses. Um, Now, family caregiving is valuable, very valuable to the family's family members, to the healthcare system, to the economy. So what is voice for family caregivers and how might it help them meet the competition they increasingly face in getting the help they really need? To talk about creating voice for family caregivers, our guests are Stuart Hickox and Julie DiNardo. Now, first of all, Stuart is an award-winning social entrepreneur with over 15 years' experience in strategic communications management. He served nine years as managing editor of the Canadian Journal of Behavioral Science. He's the founder and president of One Change, which is a charitable foundation with a unique and empowering message, which is simple actions matter. He started One Change in 2005 as a way to help people save money and cut greenhouse gases. Under his leadership, One Change has evolved into an innovative business model using community-based social marketing. One Change now designs and delivers creative community engagement campaigns that produce measurable results for utilities, governments, and corporations. Julie? Julie is a dental hygienist with an independent dental hygiene office, her own, called Gleam Smile Center in Hamilton, Ontario. She's a founding member of the American Academy of Oral Systemic Health and a member of the Canadian Dental Hygiene Association. She provides oral cancer awareness days in her office and works collaboratively with the local cancer treatment center. She's founder of a charity she calls Woolies for Newbies, which provides essentials for the less fortunate and their babies. And she and her husband with their four children have been foster parents to many children. So welcome to the show, Stuart and Julie. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Stuart, I'm going to start with you. Please, would you tell us more about your career background and your One Change organization? Well, thank you, Gordon, for the opportunity to, to share the story. Um, One Change was founded in, in 2005, and you mentioned it nicely in your, in your introduction, essentially as a way to get people to help people to save money and protect the environment through taking a little step 
changing a light bulb from an inefficient uh, incandescent bulb to a compact fluorescent light bulb. And my wife and I started in our kitchen, and we decided that we would just buy some light bulbs and hand them out on our street as a way to share that empowering message that if you change one light bulb to a, a more efficient one, it can make a tremendous difference if everybody does it. 800,000 cars, in fact, taken off the road if everyone in America changed just one light bulb. So we felt that was pretty powerful. Uh, what happened, though, was, was really kind of interesting because pretty soon as we were going door to door and as the campaign spread, we realized that people weren't excited about the bulbs. They were excited about the opportunity to participate that making a simple action can provide for them. So that was, that was really the thing that forms the heart of one change is that if you give people something simple to do that's connected with a bigger global issue, and in our case it was energy and environment, by connecting a simple action with that bigger issue, it puts people on a path to other choices and it allows them to you know, start moving on a continuum of choices that can address a bigger issue. So it's not about looking at how do we save the planet. That's a disempowering message. It's like, how do I get started? And that's what One Change is all about. So we harness the power of, of community groups now to be advocates for simple actions in energy and environment. Um, taking, taking them door to door and at events. And it's really replicable to other fields too, and which is why I'm interested in, in the discussion today because elder care and health care and things like that, those are global issues that have really phenomenal consequences and, and are quite staggering in terms of their challenge. But they can really be started, and we can start tackling those by, by uh, giving people simple things to do to start. Right. Julie. Please tell us more about your involvement with family caregiving as an experienced, foster, adoptive, and biological mom. Julie? Um, the, the experience of, of being you know, a biological mom started 20 years ago, uh, and that's where, where uh, things started to grow from there. I really like, Stuart, the way you said you know, one change and, and you do one thing and how it grows from there. Um, my husband and I, once we had our, our child, we really, it, it opens your eyes up to, to the children of the world. And that's when we started thinking about maybe we wanted to, to foster. And that's where we started looking into, uh, you know, the different possibilities and what we can do. Uh, once we started looking into it, first we thought we would do some relief work, which is basically reliefing uh, some of the foster parents to give them a break uh, when they needed to. Uh, but once we got into um, actually seeing the needs in our community, we, we stepped right into the role. So rather than just being um, a relief home, we became an open home bringing in um, children. Our first child uh, that we had, we, we took infants with special needs. And uh, that, that was an eye-opening experience because that one little change of having that first foster child has now blossomed into um, what I do today, and it's blossomed into you know the charity that I began and, and um, everything that that's happened from there. And that was uh, ten years ago that we started fostering. Now with the children that I've had in my home, uh, we've had to deal with a lot of issues, a lot of developmental issues, or language-based learning disabilities, or physical illnesses, mental and physical um, abuses and injuries. But uh, out of them all, I think it's the individual or the invisible uh, disabilities that are the toughest because it's harder for people to understand. Right. But, yeah. We're going to talk 
more about those particular things later, Julie, but thanks for that. Now, let me go to Stuart again. How does one change mobilize volunteers and community groups to be spokespersons or spokespeople for your campaigns? In doing this, are you, in fact, giving them voice? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks for that. Uh, I mean, we find everywhere that people of all backgrounds, one thing they have in common is that, you know, our people are aware of large global issues, complex issues. There is a pent-up desire to do something about it, but people don't know where to start. And we found that providing, a, as I mentioned earlier, a, a, an approach to it that allows them to participate without asking much of them at the beginning is a way to get people to get people started. It, you know, boils down a very complex issue into something that is tangible and accessible to everyone. And the reason why volunteers come out, and they have by the thousands, 15,000 volunteers so far across North America, of all different backgrounds, church groups, faith-based organizations, schools, teachers, etc., people from all backgrounds, not just environmentalists, is that you know, the work that we do is all very based, it's based on five simple precepts, positive, non-political, inclusive, action-oriented, and, geez, I can't remember the fifth one, <laughs> but it's non-political stuff that uh, no one can disagree with. You, you know, these are things that people can do that make change possible, that give people reinforcement that they're actually taking valuable steps. And because the work is non-political, that it, it brings very different groups together to collaborate. And that's a really important part because we're not talking about, you know, uh, something that's, that only one group should do. It's about getting people of all backgrounds to collaborate together. So when we approach a group like the Scouts or a church group or something and say, here's a program, we're asking you to promote energy conservation or environment through this simple step, there is no downside to it. So why would they say no? It benefits their community. Our job is to identify the influencers in those communities, the church leaders, the teachers, et cetera, who can then bring the volunteers out. And they do, again, by the thousands, because it's focused on simple actions. And it right. Stop Stuart, it I'm, going, I'm going to stop you there, not sure. because we're not interested, but of the tyranny of time. Oh, because thank I just, want, thank you for I just want, want to get Julie to answer a little bit more of a question, and then we'll come back to the things you're talking about. Now... Julie, please tell us about the charity you created and how it works with family caregivers. Julie? Woolies for Newbies. It was created about 10 years ago, and uh, that was started when, like I had said, it was um, kind of um, by initiative was when we first had our first foster child because the thing that I didn't know is that the babies um, can't leave the hospital unless they are properly clothed and that they have some essentials to leave the hospital in. And a lot of times when um, they're just abandoned uh, and they need to go to foster homes, they don't have those essentials to go, to go with. And so that they're, they're kind of stuck in the hospital until somebody is able to provide for it, whether it be, be the, the agency that, you, that you're dealing with or, or um, another family member or whatnot to come forth to, to bring the essentials so that the baby can leave the hospital. So I saw the need that we really needed this uh, to provide for these babies to leave, and uh, that's how it started. So it started that I, I went to uh, different church groups and uh, started asking them for, for the ladies to knit. And um, so at its peak, I had over 75 knitters from, from different churches and, and senior centers, 
and the donations were going to um, like the Children's Aid, the Catholic Children's Aid, but it, it, it quickly grew because we had so many volunteers. And then um, we started providing things to the pregnancy crisis centers, the small uh, communities. And then from word of mouth again, um, and donations started coming in, so we started you know, donating to Northern Canada, to especially to the First Nations communities, and then donations went all the way up to none of it. So it, it, it grew actually quite, quite quickly. And uh, what this does is it just helps new parents with the essentials for their newborns. So things like layettes, you know, for, for uh, knitted blankets and, and, and little sweaters to, to baby bottles, to diapers, to uh, pajamas, and everything that a newborn needs to have for, for the mom to, to, to start off with. Now, I'm going to stop you there, but just to say a parallel is, is coming out very clearly between you both in the way you approach things, though you've been working in different areas, so we're going to explore those, explore those parallels. Now, this is our time when we need to take a break to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adelaide. My guests are Stuart Hickox and Julie Donado. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. If you are having difficulty balancing everything in your life, be sure to tune in to Change is Personal with Kim Fuller. Each week, we'll help you do your own self-assessment to handling relationships, family, life challenges, health, and personal goals. Kim and her guests share from experiences and offer advice and resources to keep your life on track. Change is Personal with Kim Fuller can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and start having a fuller life. We let so many outside factors mold and shape our lives. Technology, instant delivery. We live in an on-demand world. What's happened to the compassion, the kindness, a better pace? Listen to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. We'll bring that kindness and compassion back to our world. Our guests come from around the world and we'll discuss what's being done and what we can do to bring our lives back to order. Might Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, 
back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Stuart Hickox and Julie Donado. Our topic is creating voice for family caregivers. So let's talk about the financial challenges faced by family caregivers. Julie, starting with you, please. What do you see as the most difficult financial challenges for family caregivers in these financially challenging times? Well, I'm going to say something that most people have probably heard before in this society now, and I would say it's government cutbacks, um, because that's affected many people, and unless it's, it's affected you directly, you wouldn't know how much of a crisis it puts a lot of families in, especially for those who have um, uh, people that they're looking after. Uh, for example, if you have a, a child with an invisible learning disability, uh, and I'm not speaking, you know, just uh, as a second language. I'm talking about kids that are, are intelligent, uh, a genius even, but they can't read or write, kids that have dyslexia or dysgraphia. Um, and for these kids to get assessed and to allow them to get help uh, via computers or any other methods that they need to learn, uh, they need to be, number one, uh, two school years behind before they get assessed through the school board. But the school board only allows for so many assessments to be done within their board um, because of financial reasons. So I know just for that, there's, um, there's a lot of uh, financial challenges because then the parents, for, the, for them to get assessed, to get the help that they need, uh, then have to do it privately or are having to look at that option, and that can be very, very costly. Stuart, over to you. Um... Please tell us about the ways in which One Change recognizes and supports worthwhile community movements, including those that are seeking funding for socially important needs. Stuart? Well, we see this everywhere in communities we go, and we've been in about 1,200 communities across North America so far, is that these well-meaning organizations are working diligently at the local level to have a local impact and are doing all kinds of great things to do it, but lack the capacity to grow or to go to scale, or even the, the ability to work with other like-minded organizations. So what One Change does is provides a framework through our mantra, Simple Actions Matter, that allows, like I said, different groups to work together. And because we, as a large charitable foundation, can raise funds from the corporate sector or from local governments and have the ability to be accountable for that is through our charitable status, we can fund and support local organizations to expand their capacity and also to, you know, to harness their power and their largely creativity to within the framework of our programs to allow them to do a better job at what they're already doing. Like some of these organizations aren't really good at accountability and financial reporting, but they're really good at serving the communities where they are. So that's one way that we can we can help them out. I mean, our programs also create lots of local jobs because they're run by all by local people. Investment for the program messages are, are made back into the community. So there's a great capacity building that's done through through the One Change approach. And it overcomes in that sense through the mantra, simple actions matter, and that non-political appeal. It overcomes that disconnection and empowers local leaders who are struggling in many cases to be connected to each other and harness the power of each other do a better job of serving serving communities with general and empowering messages. And this is really important, too, with elder care and, and, and uh, you know, creating voice, is that there's much more voice if we're all singing the same tune and in the same way. So that's one way we help out. 
Right. Um, Julie, please say more about what you see as the consequences for families, family caregivers and family members of the financial challenges that family caregivers cannot meet. Julie? Well, some of the, the consequences, I mean, if I'm going to stay in the same um, uh, topic, basically, of, if, of, of um, care right now, I've been, I've, I think I've been talking a lot about, you know, the school system and the, and the kids in, in the school. And if, if we take a look at that, we'll, we'd see a lot of the children falling through the cracks of the system. Um, the foster families have a lot to deal with, and I think they have a lot more social and, and psychological behaviors that they're having to deal with today than they ever have. And some of the families aren't really prepared to, to deal with that. And then you add the stress on uh, when you're not getting support that you need to, to get the kids help um, because of the financial the reasons that we've mentioned before. Uh, the frustration level goes up, and, and then, you know, for the kids, the physical illnesses then start to come through and, and the mental uh, problems start to come through a little bit more. And again, the frustration for the foster parents come, come higher and, and it, just, it just becomes, it comes to a boiling point. And uh, I think that one of the biggest consequences is that um, ultimately it's, it's, the, it's the kids that we're trying to help it, to begin with, they're the ones that are suffering. So what I'm getting from you is that this is a an unpleasant feedback loop in the sense that things aren't very promising to start with, but because of the difficulty of getting the kinds of services you've been talking about, including assessments, um, the child is suffering even more. Have I got that right? I think so. Like, I, I think we're trying to, I don't want to make it sound doom and gloom because we are doing the best that we can, but the whole point here is if we're talking about what are the consequences and what are we, um, what are the um, the downfalls, if, if money is cut back and, and the money is not there, this is what we're looking at. I mean, if we lived in an ideal world where money wasn't an issue, I mean, then we would have these kids assessed. We would give them the help that they need. Um, we, would, we would be able to provide them with the support uh, before it became so bad that, that we're, we're trying to backtrack and trying to help them out. Right. Stuart, please say how you think family caregivers as a community could use voice and I'm talking here of a local community probably could use voice in the sense of getting decision makers to listen to get more support for family caregivers faced with financial challenges that they cannot meet. Stuart? Wow that's a big one. My first question back to you is what is the is is there a community of family caregivers how would you define that because it seems to me Sometimes in a problem like this, the fact is the the challenge is beyond it it crosses like all different organizations all different all different people, and that's good in a certain way because it's an issue that's relevant to everyone but unless someone's a champion for it, there really is no spokesperson it It falls to the individual. These things that we're looking at in in this area are are phenomenal because in the negative sense, because these are issues that everyone wants to address, but almost people are afraid to ask. So I would say, I mean, in terms of giving voice, the power still rests with the, the individual, I would think, in this case, but also to find the organizations that are acting as local advocates. I would say, you know, people ask me all the time, what's the silver bullet of getting government attention or getting, a, getting traction? Is it social media? There's nothing more powerful right now in, in terms of getting a politician's attention or a funder's attention than a handwritten card 
a personal testimonial or cornering someone at an event. I mean, the thing that I think will make this, you know, much more relevant and bring it down to the personal level is to keep it personal. There's not going to be a large marketing effort to galvanize people behind this. It is something that everyone cares about. You know, family care is something that, you know, that we all face in one way or another. But I really think it has to be harnessing the personal stories of each participant, of everybody that's touched by it, but also getting it in front of people in a way that's personal and relevant. Um, so, like, I'm serious. We, we do this all the time. Postcard campaigns are really powerful because emails get lost, social media gets lost, but handwritten notes or, you know, cornering someone at an event really works. It's that simple. Julia, I'm going to pass Stuart's question to me, to you. That is to say, what about this question of are there such things as communities of family caregivers? Or is it all a matter of individuals and individual families um, really making their voices heard? Now, I'm not in any way being negative about either of those. I just think it's an important question that Stuart raised that needs addressing. Julie, what do you think? Well, firstly, again, I, I would really like to say I, I think that the power of a written card goes a long way. I mean, I think we've lost the the, uh, the ability to to handwrite. Everybody's texting and everybody's emailing now. Uh, <laughs> that that handwritten notes and letters go a long way. Um, now, uh, as far as the communities, there are different. Um, different communities within, like with, with the associations. If I'm looking at, you know, the fostering uh, community, the foster association, and we really do look uh, to each other for support. And that basically is done uh, within the, the foster families individually. Uh, so the kind of the answer is, is both. Yes, we do come together as a, as a community, but it's the individual foster families that have to start that. Um, and there we look for... Uh, for support because many, many times families can get overwhelmed with everything that they have to, um, to deal with. And sometimes mentally as well, it, it's very difficult with the challenges that were faced. Um, and even, even sharing of, of equipment, uh, some, of the, some of the pieces of equipment are rather uh, quite expensive. For example, like an, an angel pad for, for infants with, with breathing irregularities. Those are, those are expensive pieces of equipment. And, and we have to purchase those. So if, if one child uh, moves along from, from, let's say, my home and it goes, and then another home receives a child with, with that kind of uh, disability, then, then I pass that, that equipment on to them. Um, so that community is, is, is there, but really you have to be um, proactive and, and you have, to, you have to, to get out there. I mean, and, and, and seek it out. To both of you, and just in the final few seconds of this segment, what I hear constantly is that family caregivers so often feel alone. That is to say, they're facing difficult, very difficult, tiring, exhausting situations. Um, there's an enormous responsibility on them. Um, and, as I say, they feel alone. So the very fact of speaking to other family caregivers, especially those who've traveled further down the particular road than the, than the ones who are uh, just starting out, is very beneficial. So in that sense, uh, that there's both approaches. That is to say, there's approach 
based on the communities that form up by people connecting with each other. But there's also uh, the question of what the individual families and individual family caregivers need and the kind of support um, that um, they need when they need it and how they need it. And so in the next segment, we're going to go into some of those issues. So once again, this is where we pay the rent, so it is time to take the short break. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Stuart Hickox and Julie Donado. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Green Living Channel. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Stuart Hickox and Julie Donado. Our topic is creating voice for family caregivers. So let's um, talk about um, the needs of family caregivers and the ways in which they can get their voices heard by healthcare's decision makers. So Julie, what parts of the care that family caregivers provide to their family members include things that Healthcare and social systems don't provide sufficiently or, or at all. Julie? Um, as I had mentioned just previously, uh, a, a lot, like I was saying, a lot of pieces of equipment uh, that are, are needed. 
And sometimes um, the, the help in, in putting those support systems in place so in that way uh, individual families know where to get uh, know where to get that help and know where to get this these these extra pieces of, of equipment. Right. It's we'll come back to this in a different way because I want to ask Stuart. Um, we're talking about communities of family caregivers that probably are local. Maybe they don't. They're not permanent in any way, and maybe they just form up. It for a short time and then dissolve. So what I'm asking you now is what you think family caregivers as communities such as they are need to consider in attempting to get their voices heard. Stuart? Well, I'm kind of struggling with this too in the sense that the main problem I think is something we're kind of overlooking. I think the reason why these communities flare up, if I may, and then fade back and why they aren't more consistently heard in in, uh, in the public dialogue is because a lot of the issue is really ugly to look at. I mean, we're talking about death and care and illness and all those things. People, there's a great sense of denial in our society. And, you know, we might as well call it that. Nobody wants to deal with these issues, and yet everybody is facing them. It's kind of, it's, there's that element to it. I think overcoming that might be as simple as connecting family caregiving and elder care and end-of-life issues and things like that with a broader sense of resilience in the in communities. So, you know, people are insulating the attic in their house or changing light bulbs or, you know, fixing, you know, cleaning up a river. Those actions are connected with things that we do to preserve our health, to look after our families. We're making our, fa- our communities stronger so we have to learn somehow to, how to weave and expand the term sustainability to include family caregiving, because I see that as like the, the way to break through this siloed approach to this whole issue, because it's pretty clear that we're not really going to be able to, you know, sustain the dialogue on family caregiving and give voice to these communities that come and go unless it's connected with the bigger issue of how to serve people better, of how to make life better. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's the dialogue that we try to stimulate through giving people simple things to do to have that conversation. I'm just not sure how to bring, you know, uh, family caregiving into that, into that dialogue. So I'm really interested in that. Julie, coming back to you now, you were talking about um, equipment and the need to pass it along that, um, you know, if a particular piece of equipment serves a particular challenge to a child, for example, then uh, maybe when the child doesn't need that anymore or maybe moves somewhere else, if I've understood you right, uh, what happens is that that piece of equipment will be passed on to another family caring for the situation that the or the circumstances or the condition that the child needs and you've described how that happens i want you to say more about what how you actually do that and whether you think that kind of informal help can be enlarged in such a way that it becomes the kind of community that i think stuart is encouraging us to think about julie what do you think well we do what we can do. I mean, as individuals, when we're talking about pieces of equipment and, and passing them along and that, we also have to be very, very careful that um, 
that those pieces of equipment are, are regulated. And we, especially when, when you're dealing with such um, fragile infants or, or fragile health issues, uh, the, they, the stuff that we're using needs to be um, on par with, with making sure that it's in functional order and whatnot. So a lot of the passing of the equipment goes on between foster families not necessarily within the agency that we're dealing with. Uh, so that's something that, uh, that goes as an individual. This is what, you're, what, what we're doing. Uh, now, as far as, uh, you know, how do, we, how do we communicate the needs and whatnot, uh, Stuart, I, I like the fact that you're saying that we really need to, to have a, a voice, like a, a greater voice, and, and how do we make it more... Uh, more known to to the public that that mm-hmm. help is there, um, you know. Uh, uh, besides being a biological mom and a adoptive mom, foster mom, and, and that, I'm also like a registered dental hygienist. And, and what I'm when I'm when I'm listening to you, I'm really thinking about what our association is doing to make health, like oral health, um, more accessible for people because the oral health is is. Um, uh, very important to the overall health, basically, and especially for people with special needs, uh, it, it becomes more important because then their immune system is, is more compromised. So what what they're doing, our association, is trying to um, put it on the radio and trying to get out there that these hygiene clinics are, are, are available for people, uh, maybe at a more accessible, sometimes possibly more, more affordable um, way of, of getting help out there. So I think that if we're looking at different different organizations and different um, communities, we're, uh, we're we're publicizing it maybe all in all in the ways that we can and the ways that we can afford. Right, Stuart, I'm going to transfer Julie's comment to you in this way. Um, Julie is warning us, I think, that it is, it's more than just passing a piece of used furniture along. This is, this is a piece of equipment that has to be matched to the needs of the child. Uh, it has to be in proper working order. And it also has to be understood, because some of it can be complicated by the people who are going to use it. So in other words, there's some specialization behind it. And Julie pointed out dental hygiene as the way in which because a lot of that isn't covered by the healthcare system, but the way that those services are becoming, uh, getting uh, more available to communities. So my, my question to you is, what would you do in this situation to help the communities of family caregivers who are handling the equipment that's needed so that it becomes better known, so that it becomes better organized and so that it attracts the kind of attention and support that a sense it needs. Stuart, what do you think? Mm, wow, that's a lot of questions, Gordon. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I love I you to spread out the big guns near the end. I love it. <laughs> yes. Well, I think it, it needs to be, I don't know, I, I don't have a, a quick answer for that. I think uh, the, the organizations that provide that kind of transition work need to be better understood at the at the public level and at the decision makers level they need to be so that they get the kind of support they need to have the systems in place to do that kind of transition efficiently i mean it's really about how do 
family caregivers use their voice and, and you know to attract the kind of support that they need to make that possible. So it's not. I mean, I can't offer you any technical advice on how to make that equipment transfer possible. But I can tell you how the community itself should get its word out, such that there's enough money in the system to support it. And I think there are some key messages there. The community needs to reinforce some key messages. We are valuable. You provide a key service that supports society at a whole bunch of levels, from kids right up to seniors. You know, these community groups keep communities viable. People are living in their homes longer because of support of these communities. Their families are thriving. Their kids are able to stay in school. They don't have to move to a different city for care. You know, these community uh, communities of uh, family caregivers need to you need to understand that they're here for you in case you need them. I mean, this we might all fall into that at any old time. In fact, we'll probably all need that care at some point. And that the bigger issue is here, and the way that this can be promoted such that there's enough resources, this is not just about health. This is about sustainability of communities, about, or, about organizations that are making sure that our communities are resilient, strong, healthy, and diverse. So it's an economic argument. It's not just about health. It's not just about the most vulnerable. It's about everyone. And I really think if we start thinking of it in those ways and connecting it to the bigger picture of sustainability and then using individual stories, these testimonials of people who have experienced the need and have been served well by these communities, there's going to be enough resources there. So it's the bigger picture and then the testimonials rolled right in that uh, I think can, can drive this forward. Right. Now, I'm just going to summarize in the few seconds that remain something uh, that I think is a, an important point to be made, and that is more and more government is looking at families caring for their family members at home because it's less expensive um, than having them in hospitals, having people in hospitals or long-term care facilities. So, in other words, family caregiving is seen as a cost-saving for the healthcare system. So, it seems to me that one message to go back, and this is what you've both, I think, indirectly been referring to, is that what family caregivers are doing uh, and the help they need for doing it is a worthwhile investment on the part of those decision makers, but they probably haven't got the message. So that's one of the things we ha we we all need to think about. Now, once again, it's messages. It's time for the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Stuart Hickox and Julie Donardo. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. 
Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Stuart Hickox and Julie Donado. Our topic is creating voice for family caregivers. So now let's talk about the future of voice for family caregivers. A time at a time when healthcare systems are short of money and therefore encouraging family caregivers to care for their loved ones at home. So, Julie, first, for you, what, what do you want to see done to promote a stronger voice for family caregivers? Julie? Well, what, I would, what I'd like to see done and what's possible might be two different, uh, two different things. One thing I'd like to see is uh, for, for people to become more tolerant, uh, more, tolerant of, of, more tolerant of differences, uh, and 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 just being more supportive of one of one another. I mean, this is this is a community, and we're always talking about you know community and and, and caregiving, and it, it just it just doesn't happen in, in one home. I mean, if 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 everybody becomes tolerant of one another, then uh, the help the helping hands tend to help each other a little bit more, and, and especially in this busy time, and everybody seems to be busy doing their own thing. Uh, if just just a little bit of time given to to help out your neighbor to help out um, somebody else it goes goes a long way and we we've said it before one 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 change at a time right and collectively it it becomes huge so it reminds me of of for example the, the one knitter one one little lady sitting in a senior home knitting a little sweater and she may not think that that's going to make much of a difference but Put you know a hundred knitters together, and all the no- donations that, that that have come in, we we made a huge difference. So, what I would like to see is just everybody uh, helping out a little bit, and and just kind of extending their hands out a little bit more, and um, we we would see I think a bigger collective change. That's a beautiful image. 
Yeah, Stuart, carry on. What do you suggest? I just love that. I just love the uh, image of of uh, Granny sitting knitting, mm-hmm. thinking. But you know what the secret to to her doing that is, and to to thousands more doing it, is if she understands that the little sweater that she's knitting isn't the only one. Mm-hmm. That you know there there's a movement and network of people do also doing the same thing, because the big problem with a barrier to communicating these bigger messages and empowering groups to believe that, you know, what they do matters is that people don't think that what they do makes a difference on an individual basis. And if, if that granny sitting there knowing that there's a, a hundred other grannies doing the same thing and every preemie in the ward or something is going to have a warm hat, you know, that, that sends a, a really strong message. But I think in terms of, you know, how, how family caregivers could get a stro- stronger voice, I mean, it's to work within the existing groups that are advocating for the same kind of theory, theoretical issues, like what are we all aiming for as healthier society, more support for elders, you know, more support for the most vulnerable in society, and then deciding, let's have a frank conversation. What are some simple actions, you know, like knitting, for instance, that can we can all agree with our, our simple first steps that we can rally behind as common, common actionable items? I like the hygiene, the oral hygiene example that you gave. These services are available. You can build an entire national campaign around dental floss. You know, <laughs> I got one call to action for you, people. Floss. You know, at two F L O S S. It's not even a four-letter word. Five-letter we're trying, word. Stuart. We're trying really hard. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the kind of thing you can resell to a corporate partner too to get behind. That gives you the resources to carry your deeper message and your other more complex uh, messages forward. So, right, I ramble on too much there. No, this is good. Now, this is where I want you both to speak to family caregivers who are listening to us. So, starting with you, Julie, what's your message to family caregivers? My message always remains the same: is that the fact that you are never alone. A lot of people find themselves trapped behind closed doors, and um, I know that a lot of times behind those closed doors there are tears, tears of frustration, tears of hopelessness at times because a lot of things have been put upon your shoulders and know that you are not alone and that there is help and there's always somebody there to, or, or there is somebody out there to, to, to listen to you and to offer support. And this is what this is all about today is just, you know, putting it out there and, and hopefully a lot of people will hear um, and, and it'll help to initiate the change within them to be able to lend a helping hand uh, for those people that are behind those closed doors. So it's, it's never to give up and uh, for, 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 for different things, and let's go back to the to the the parent who has uh, again a child in the school system that that's um, that's suffering, and and every night at home he's he's frustrated because he's got to do homework and and he's not getting it, and 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 it's it's frustrating time and time again. Just never give up and never say no or or don't accept no for an answer when when you're when you're looking for help, um, because believe me, I've been through it, and um, had I stopped at the first roadblock. But most of my children wouldn't be where they are today if I would have stopped at the first no. Stuart, your message, please. My message to family caregivers? Thank you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's the first thing I want to say. I mean, I, I don't have a direct experience with with family caregiving. I, you know, I've been blessed in, in that sense. And But, I mean, 
these are people who serve the, the the greatest needs of society. So I say thank you. But also, I want to echo what what Julie said. Never, you're not alone. And this is these are things everyone feels like they're going through this, like they're the first one to go through it. And that's something we've discovered when we're researching elder care and, and end of life issues is. Everyone experiences it like it's the first time ever. That's not true. There are so many resources out there to find. But the other thing, too, is speak up. This is never going to become a catalyst issue or galvanize government to, to rethink how we approach this issue, especially with burgeoning health care costs, and they're looking for options. Unless individuals tell their stories, send that postcard, write a personal note to a politician, call the hospital administrator, don't give up. A few phone calls, a personal note, you know, cornering someone at an event makes a difference, especially if it's a compelling personal story. And I would say, you know, people feel very vulnerable in this situation. You know, and are off, there's an element of pride in uh, people's experience of this. They're overtired, they're overworked. You've got to be prepared to show your weaknesses and admit that you don't have the resources that you need because other people will, will gather around, I feel, when they do. And that's when a movement can start. It's like we've had enough. We need to change this, and we need to gather together our resources to, you know, to, to get the kind of support that we need. So I would say that, uh, you know, gratitude starts it, but then, you know, moving there from a, a position of strength and awareness to uh, take action. What I'm going to say back to both of you is knitting. Well, is for newbies um, the way in which Stuart re- you responded to Julie's talking about the one knitter and then the group of knitters, the community of knitters. And the way, Julie, you made clear that those kinds of actions, and I'm going to read something into this, fit very closely indeed with the kind of strategies, if I can call them that, that Stuart is actually talking about. That is to say, mobilizing um, starting with the first simple action and then building it up into a group action and then into a community action seems to me an extremely powerful uh, mm-hmm. message, first of all for family caregiving, but also for the healthcare system. Because the more people like you who believe in these things do things, the mother, the more people who need help are going to get it, and the more the publicity, the more the voice, and the more the understanding. So, that, yeah, that's just me pontificating away, but it's something I believe very strongly in. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, our time is up, so I want to say a very strong thank you to Stuart, Stuart and Julie for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice. And, of course, to wish you both continuing success in your work. But I'm going to go a step further, and I'm going to say that I hope the effect of this episode and you two talking together is going to lead to something where um, Stuart um, and uh, Julie, in the things you believe in and want to see happen, please bring some closing of efforts, some synchronization of efforts, some joining of efforts to get things going. Because your leaders, you can set an example, you can get things going. So I won't lecture you anymore, but that's my my hope out of this episode. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, we, I'd like to hear 
from you about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. So let's hear from you. Now, in our next episode, we'll talk about death with dignity. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. We'll be right back. 